All right. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a fan of overlong podcast introductions. So this is Jeremy Hildreth, and who am I talking to? I'm talking to Neil French, who's one of the most straight-shooting, strong-willed, self-revealing, and self-determined men that I have ever had the pleasure to discourse with. I would characterize Neil as an amalgam of Roger Sterling, Ernest Hemingway, and Errol Flynn. But you can draw your own conclusions about that. This podcast is brought to you by <laughs> nobody. I made it myself very much in a look ma no hands kind of way. You can probably look forward to better audio quality in future broadcasts. But this one is still pretty listenable. And you do get the ambiance of Neil's villa high up on the hillside of the village of Dea in Mallorca, Spain, where the following conversation was recorded. So uh, thank you for agreeing to be on my first podcast. Um, it might be my last podcast too. Well, in which case it would be the best. Uh, yes, but maybe, <laughs> or it could be the beginning of something. I've been told many times I have a great face for radio. So yeah, you do have a terrific face for radio, uh, and you have a great voice for radio. Face so for it. Between well, the two well, of us, I was made. To, I, I earned a living with this for a while. Mm. So, for the audience's benefit, I'll say that I first heard of you, Neil French, uh, after I did my MBA at Oxford. I first moved to, to England, and I got my first job uh, at a branding and design agency in London. Uh, and I was a strategist, teamed up with designers, and in the little library that the agency had next to the kitchen, they had a book called The Copy Book, uh, which had, a, I think, 47 or 48 different copywriters. 32. I always thought it was that's like 47. Bizarre number. number. Why 32? Because that's uh, out of 50, that's how many responded. Oh, is that right? No, I just, I just made, you that made that up. up as well. Yeah. Very good. I'm learning from you. I yeah. don't sound authoritative when you make something up. <laughs> so that, that chapter in the copybook had, oh, had a big influence on me. And uh, now, Changing the subject slightly, I mean, I tease people that I have a, a, a variegated history, not to be confused with a checkered past. Um, I've had several careers up till now, uh, but sir, I mean, you take the cake in terms of a career history. I, it, 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 it may, if I, say, if I can put it politely, verge on a, on a checkered past. Well, yeah, um, it would verge. I've <laughs> worked at it being checkered past, Christ. That was by design, okay. How much more checkered do you want it? So I'll read, I'll read briefly from the, from the bio in the copybook. So, uh, Neil French, born 1944, expelled from minor public school at 16, rent collector, account executive, bouncer, waiter, singer, matador, we'll come back to that, pornographer, rock band manager, which was Judas Priest. You, were, you managed Judas Priest mm. in the 1970s. Lovely How man. cool is that? Promoter, account executive again, and most famously of all, copywriter. Uh, you became a huge big shot in Asia in the 80s and 90s. You're credited with only slight exaggeration of kind of inventing advertising in Asia, uh, and so on and so forth, all the way up to becoming worldwide creative director of Ogilvy, which doesn't seem like it could be top, but then you became worldwide creative director for 
WPP, Wire and Plastic Products, the noble house that owns Ogilvy and Gray and Y&R and all of those. It's it's like being the Pope of, it's, it's like being God's representative of creative direction on earth. I mean, what is... Yeah, it's exactly like that. <laughs> Sitting at Martin in the garden, which Martin thinks it is, which is fair. Um, no, it was... It, actually, the Ogilvy job was much nicer than the WPP one. Um, Ogilvy, I was actually fairly hands-on. I could go and um, talk to the bunny rabbits and suggest with a fist like this that they did it my way. And... Um, that was good. I never had the, hire, the hiring and firing power, but I had as near to it as you can get, as long as I, I had the agreement of the other people in the company. And usually I could get that. So if I said, you know, your creative director sucks, they'd say, yeah, but he's a, such a nice man. Yeah, I know, I know. However, he's got to be changed. And then they'd say, all right. Someone who said, doesn't have me that has to do the firing. Yeah, and no, I'll do the firing, don't worry about it. Mm. And so we just upped the... the the grade of the people. And then once you've done that, the work comes naturally. If you've got the right people, the right work comes out. Mm. You know, garbage in, garbage out, and the, the, uh, the reverse applies as well. Mm. So that was a lovely job. WPP was less lovely because the other agencies didn't have the same ethos, you see, that Ogilvy had. Ogilvy has had an ethos. I don't know that it still has. But... Um, I wasn't as welcome as the flowers in spring every time I turned up at an office, to be honest. Nevertheless, it's a, it's a long way from Birmingham. Where you <laughs> you on can't that, get far enough away from Birmingham. <laughs> on that subject, there was another Brummie, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, I, I, I mentioned the story yeah. to you the other day, who said that um, someone asked him in an interview, Ozzy, if you hadn't become this rock star that you are, what would you be doing? And without a second's hesitation, Ozzy said, I'd be in jail. No, he didn't. He said, "I'm being giant." Yeah, do 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 the do it in Brummie for me. No, he do said, the accent. He just said, "Being giant." In jail. That's you know that's Brummie. So if you if you hadn't uh, if you hadn't risen to these heights in advertising, what do you think you'd have been doing? I've thought about this many times, obviously, and of all the other failures I've had, uh, the only the other the one that wasn't actually a failure. I was forced out by uh, firebombs in Soho. Um, I would have liked to stuck to pornography because I thought that was fascinating. Okay. I loved it. Yeah. Not for the tits and pussies and things like that, but for the for the social engineering you do while you're doing it. Very interesting. It's, it suited you. It's yeah. No, it's right. You know, when, when I was at school, um, I, I wanted to be a priest. Mm. And uh, I didn't believe in God, um, but I didn't think that seemed to be terribly important as far as I knew from the other priests I met. And, uh, and somebody said, why? And I said, for the power. And I do like power. I like power. I like power, power to change people's opinions and thoughts and hopes and fears. And you can do that with porn. You can, it's, a, it's, a, it's a force for good if you let it be. It's still funny to think about that. It, it hadn't been Mad Men, it had been Boogie Nights for yeah, Neil, Neil French. Yeah, I'm not, quite, I'm not hung <laughs> enough for, for Boogie Nights, but uh, certainly Mad Men. Some idiot put um, something on the web the other day saying, describing me as, as the real Don Draper, which I found insulting beyond words. Hmm. Oh, God. Well, I, I you know, made a comparison between you and Hemingway and felt like I'd stepped in it somehow. I was like, I. Oh, Got bristles at a comparison to Hemingway. But what, what's uh, how? How do you? 
You, you prefer Hemingway to Don Draper? Of course, anybody's better than Don Draper. Yeah. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> no, Hemingway is, it would be a, a fair role model because he tried a lot of shit. Wasn't very good at boxing, wasn't the best big game shooter in the world. Tried everything and um, ended up <laughs> sadly having to write. Poor bugger. And uh, I understand his feelings really. Uh, back to segueing back to Ozzy Osbourne because oh, yes. I like the I like the story that you you said about the time you met him because he has you know he people have a perception of him as as um, you know almost almost shorter chromosome uh, no so or extra chromosome what's the I forgot how they but there's, there's you know short of a, a sandwich short of a picnic anyway yeah. whatever the chromosomal situation underlying maybe but the story you told me cast cast Ozzy in a, in a in a different light a light I've never seen him in with a sort of certain kind of intelligence and aptitude that was surprising well I, it, it, in a way it didn't surprise me because um, you, you're not very few very stupid people make it in any form of commerce and it is commerce actually um, so I had a, he must have been smart at some point, um, and there he was, a, a, you know, a superstar of a genre of music that I loathed. So interesting, but not that interesting. So now, do you want me to tell the story? Yeah. Okay. I was in um, in Los Angeles at a, a party which had to do with Judas Priest. Doesn't matter. And uh, a man in a seersucker suit sidled up to me and said, "Yeah." I, are you from England? Yeah. Do you know Ozzy Osbourne? Now, the funny thing was, I hadn't at that point. I said, no, funny enough, would you like to meet him? Well, rather than talk to you, Tithead, yes, I would love to. So, he walked me over to the city, and there was a, like the one with that standing there. And um, Ozzy was sitting there with the trademark glasses and the hair down in here, and with a bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand, swaying. Um, it takes talent to sway when you're sitting down. You have to be well pissed. And uh, so he, and he went to talk to I love the way that people talk to drunks sometimes. He said, Ozzy, like, you know, like he's a nitwit. Ozzy, I've got a friend, a guy from England here. Ozzy kind of focused a bit. And I said, I am, boss, I'm sorry. I, I lost the, I made an attempt to lose the brummy accent, so I, I've now got this rather plummy thing. And uh, he said, well, go on and say something drumly. And I was still saying there, like in front of the headmaster. And I said, oh, uh, Mary had a little lemon's face, so I just snarled everywhere that Mary went, the lemon's sure to go. And there was a silence. And he said, Mosley. You're from Mosley? No, I'm not from Mosley, but I was born there. Well, that's a neighbor. Okay, that's a spot. I'm just yeah. clarifying. Part that's a place. Time, yeah. Okay. And uh, I went, oh. And he said, White Grain Road. Now, that's weird, because I was born in White Grain Road. And I said, yeah. How do you know? He said, I don't know. I can always tell, you know. I think it must be a tonal thing or something. I can always tell which part of Brum you come from. But anyway, it's all right. Brum, you sit here. So then we made a long conversation. But I was very impressed that he actually got the part of Brum I was born in. Although I didn't live there for very long, but I did work there for quite a long time, collecting rents. 
That's in your book. That's in your book. Um, now, okay, next uh, next topic, David Ogilvy. Uh, I have, interestingly enough, because of uh, the, my own checkered past, I have I have I have never, or at least not yet, worked for an advertising agency of any sort. But I have learned so much from David Ogilvy and his books, uh, and he puts so much of his own personality in, in his writing that I kind of feel like I know the guy, yeah. but but I don't. I mean, you actually. You actually knew him. He was a friend of yours. Uh, tell us, tell us a David story. Tell us, tell us how you feel about about him. I was very fond of David, and I met him very late in my career and later in his life. So uh, by that time, his his opinions had softened a bit, and he agreed that being funny was good, uh, as opposed to absolutely terrible. So he completely did a flip. Oh, because yeah, he had the thing about people don't buy from clowns. Yeah. He was very anti-humor. No, he's a tit. So, but he's finally realized that people that buy from people they like, and if you want people to like you, make them laugh. Mm. And then he actually wrote that down, so thank you very much, Dave. Um, he was a darling old man, and um, I liked him a lot. He was, he luckily got a really nice wife, um, uh, Herta, who was part Mexican. She was a sweetheart. And in fact, when he, when, he, when he passed on, I went to the chateau to say hello to her, and she gave me his room that night, Aww. which is something you didn't know. And the funny thing was, it was fucking freezing. It had a fire in it, nice and nice big roaring fire. It made no difference to this massive stone room. I wrapped myself in a carpet and lay in front of the, the, <laughs> the fire all night. I was so cold. That story is not in the book, but your, yeah. your book, Sorry for the Lobsters, uh, is full of those kinds of wonderful anecdotes, and the and the title, which is uh, not self-evident, uh, is fully explained in the course of the narrative. At some point, you get the hang because everybody yeah. says why. And I said, well, you have to read the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not telling you. <laughs> no, David's good. The great thing was, uh, I wasn't there, but this is this is the story they tell, and I'd love to have been there because David used to preside over dinner, with, and they used to send him posh clients, you know, the top man from Ford, and, and uh, he used to have dinners at his chateau, and truly enough, from one of the windows, you could just see the edge of his vineyard, and uh, he was very proud of his wife, for his vineyard. and uh, he said at one point, he said to, to these, this, these massive heroes of business and industry around, he said, oh, he's a lot of you can just see my vineyard from there. Oh, yes, I can. And he said, uh, and, uh, and, and, and this, in fact, is my own wine from my own vineyard. And passed it around. And one of the guys picked it up and said, doesn't travel well, does it? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, true story. And Hurt <laughs> said, yes, yeah, that was... Truly taking the wind out of the old boy's sails. Well, in his, yeah, I bet. But in his defence, it's very, it's very difficult to make your own wine. Oh, to, to make your own beer is not is not very difficult, for example. No, I'm I mean, sure it takes it's a little difficult. doing. But, but I'm sure wine is, is famously well. You know, actually, the more I know about wine, the more I know nothing about wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's one of those it's, sorts of yeah, realms. Yeah, it's really irritating. You mm-hmm. know, I used to think I knew everything well about wine. Not everything, but I used to think I knew more than most people. And the more I found out, the more I knew nothing. Mm. So actually, the best wine is the one you like. So on the subject of things that you do know about, um, bullfighting. 
since mm. we're sitting here in Spain. Mm. Uh, you enjoy going to the bulls. Oh, still going. And you were actually in your youth a bullfighter for yes, a little I, while. Tell us about this. It's the best word for it because, um, I mean, a matador is, by definition, a killer of bulls. Matador to toros. And that's what you do. Um, but you start off with Noviera, and that's a sort of apprentice bull. Oh, fighter. And um, you, you get to fight smaller bulls, which is good, but faster bulls, which is not quite so good. Um, I'm not sure I wouldn't have rather get in with the big bugger straight away, to be honest. And, uh, but I had the benefit of being tall, so I could kill easily. And you learn to kill in a slaughterhouse. This is something I haven't told you. Mm. Um, I mean, you can't just wander into somebody's field and start chopping his cows up. You know, it's frowned on in society. Um, so you go to the slaughterhouse, and they're poor. Oh, have you ever been to slaughterhouse? Uh, no. Don't. It's awful. I, I've been you, to a leather hide, yeah, uh, well, but that's it's, it's better, but still pretty gruesome. Yes, yeah, it is. I can, I can extrapolate from there and, but, uh, and picture. It just smells worse, that's yeah. all. Um, so they come down a chute, and there's a bloke with a stun gun, and he bang, and they go off and they get flayed and so on. So frequently not actually dead, which is ghastly. I mean, it's enough to put you off meat forever. Yeah. Um, and then, but you you are now learning, and you're standing in the chute, and the bull comes along as a go at you, and you have to drop the sword in. And you've got a piece of rope which can haul you up on if it gets into trouble, but you start to learn where to put the sword. And that's not a lot of fun. Um, but it's the only way. Sorry to interrupt, but presumably you have to push the, it's not like a hot knife through butter. You've got, you've no, got to put some force behind it. No, I mean, it's a pointed sword. Okay. And, you know, the law of physics says that will break thing, and once it's in, it's in. All right. Um, but you can, you can aim it wrong, and there's all thousand ways to get it wrong. Only one to get it right. Uh, you don't want a lung shot. You want a heart shot, so you have to... But I was, I was tall enough to actually make that choice, so I was lucky I was able to kill the bloody thing as quickly as possible, because you shouldn't torture an animal to death. Um, and then you get in the ring and you can do it. And uh, I was a really shit matador. Um, I learned all the tricks, but I, I didn't learn the grace and all the other things. But I was only in front of, performing in front of tourists, and they didn't care or know anything. So I was able to make a, a short career of it until I found out I was really shit. And then, uh, but it was a, it was a career that you were you were making, but people were paying you. You, oh, were, yeah, you were you were drawing a salary. Paying me, yeah. promising me to pay it every time, and not necessarily in the end did I get the money. I was I only went to tourist places. Some of the tourists they'd come and see an English bullfighter, like Henry, except Henry was good and I was bad. Henry Higgins, yeah. the, the English the English bullfighter. Yes, a lovely man, lovely guy, but he was so much better than I was. But I think bullfighting is certainly one of those careers where it's good to know your, <laughs> your limitations. Yeah, I didn't know my Hard limitations limitation. until somebody told me. I was lucky, I guess, to have got into this thing where the guys or the managers were looking for the next year's stars. And I didn't get chosen. I couldn't believe this because I was really flashy. And that, you know, I could do things with a cape that shorter blokes couldn't do. And... Uh, and I asked this old bloke, I said, you know what, why not me? I presume you're just waiting your time, I right, to sign me up. 
And he was he looked like Jabba the Hutt. I'll never forget that. He had a he had a cigarette. He smoked like that, you know, the two fingered one. Mm-hmm. Prisoners smoked like that. And uh, uh, anyway, so I, I went up to him and I asked him, and he said, Neil, he said, you could be a great matador. I was thinking, yeah, of course. <laughs> you have to tell me. And he said, were it, were it not for the presence of the bull? <laughs> Good point. That was the only bit I didn't like. <laughs> that fucking thing trying to kill me. And for the benefit of, of any members of the audience who might end up in a bullfight, you were you were sharing with me uh, the other evening that the secret to uh, in appreciating, if not enjoying the bullfight, is to is to uh, to concentrate on the ball. Concentrate on the ball, of course. It's about the ball. Yeah, it's all about the ball. Um, this is why, it's, if you ever do go to a bullfight, um, try and check on the bulls first, because if it's not from a good ranch. It's not going to be a good day. Okay, so uh, different career moves, all of these things. I get the sense that the most satisfying and successful careers in general are the ones that uh, happen by trial and error and you kind of obliquely happen into the yeah, slot yeah. into yeah, something. I mean, some people know they have a calling from yeah. early days. I've always yeah. envied that. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's to keep moving along until your skill set matches what, what the market wants <laughs> and what exactly. they pay you for. And exactly right. from talking to you the last couple of days, I've gathered that your motivation throughout your career has pretty much been uh, money and fun. Um, yeah. and that you've done pretty well for yourself on both fronts. Yeah, both in reverse order, I have to say. You know, fun was most important, and money tends to follow if you're any good at it. Mm. That was a wonderful interview with Sir John Benjamin, who I like his work anyway. So it's peculiar, but it's good. And uh, he was drifting in and out of, of uh, lucidity, and he had, uh, what is it, Parkinson's or and he wasn't, wasn't a well boy. Towards then, he was in a bath chair and being wheeled about. But he had moments of lucidity, and moments of gabbling. This is right, okay. And uh, they said, at one point, they said, So, John, is there, is there anything that you regret in your life? And he very clearly said, I wish I'd done more fucking. Simple as that. Apparently that's one of the things on the deathbed that people, there was a nurse, uh, hospice nurse that wrote a monograph, not a book quite, but a monograph about what people, you know, she had a lot of experience with people dying and what is, what is their regret. Should have fooled around more. I think that's probably true. I Number one was, I wish I'd lived my own life. Like not, I was trying to live someone else's yeah, yeah. idea of I believe that. Yeah. Uh, although neither of those are going to be my last words. No, not sure. You've avoided those. <laughs> can't think of anything else, but I can't think of any regrets actually that, that I wouldn't have just done again. Hitchens, one of Hitchens' lines was, "You have to choose your regrets." He gave some great interviews in his dying days. No, I don't know if you saw those. No, I, I saw him quite a lot. Never consciously looking for him in his dying days. Another thing that you write in the copy book that I. That that that, uh, that resonated with me 
you would write the you would write the ad the way it needed to be done, and then you would build the strategy around yeah, that. So effectively, what you're doing there to deconstruct it is intuiting, you're bringing a lot of powers to it, thoughtfulness, yes. and also just the feel for it. Yes. All kinds of conscious and unconscious <laughs> things, and then sort of reverse engineering. Okay, what have we done? It's more than there. Yeah. It's more reverse engineering, and also if you can read the brief, if you like the end first because you know instinctively what to do, then read the brief again. And think, actually, I can chew on this into that. That'd be all right. And just by a little bit of subtraction and addition, you can make it sound as though you started with that. Um, you didn't. You did the right thing and then found out how it could fit. Uh, that works. One of the great tricks, of course, is to find out what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Have a good look at it and say, well, that's what we're doing. Our team, see all this? I'll do that. Anything looks like that, don't bring it. Start off like that. Mm. That's always a good trick. Put them all on the wall. Put all the press ads on the wall. Run. You make a reel of there. Have all the competitions work. Play it. Look at it. Take it in. Some of it may be good. Not much. Um, mostly not. And then they put all the press ads and all the posters and say, okay. So I ask, don't look like any of those. Or that. Now, go to work. It's wonderful. Subtraction. As soon as you think, no, it's been done. There's always that thing where you, when you first sit down to work on something, you come up with the idea, you think, that's a good idea. And then you realize that's actually the first idea that anyone with half a brain anyone. would have come around to. Exactly. And then you, then you keep going. You're like, it is, a, it's not, it's not terrible, but that's the first, yeah. it's, that's the obvious one. As soon as something becomes obvious, that's the one, and then you've got, you got to throw that out. Right. Well, you've got to keep going. And frequently, I mean, as, as you've probably seen in that video, I did, um, you work and work and work, and when you've got the perfect idea, absolutely perfect, throw it away. Throw it away, start again, and see if you can do better. And eight times out of ten, you can do better. And then, and then you'll pick it up and go, actually, it was good, but it wasn't good enough. What I can do is take that out, move that. To, yeah, now it's now it's good. Yeah. But, but I didn't think there's a trick to creativity. I think it all it is is being fresh. 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 Well, David, I'm calling him David now, just for fun. Ogilvy said. Um, What's the, has the line about creativity is just another word for the work he's got to do between now and Tuesday. Yeah, but that's a different. I understand that's his point. Flip, yeah, I understand his point. I mean, he was saying, "Don't sit around and look at the wall." Whereas I would say, "Actually, sit around and look at the wall, David." Is sometimes more creative than picking up a piece of paper and start to scribble. Yeah, but he must have known that. Now he was a great believer in hard work, and I, I understand that's Scottish. Okay. And, uh, but you know, you used to say, well, when you walk around your office, do you find people just sitting and looking out the window? Oh, they said, yeah, lots. He said, well, you know, don't you just tell them to get on with it? I said, they are getting on. They are getting on. That is getting on with it. Hmm? Which he was very anti. That's good, yes. Was he really, though? I mean, did, no, he, he, hate, did he, I mean, in practice? In practice, he hated committees. Going to a meeting, yeah. Oh, who's going to make the decision? That was the great one. Did you hear that one? He went to a, a presentation once, and there was a room full of people. 
And they said, right, uh, you, you have a half an hour, Mr. Ogilvy. And he, and, he, and he said, at the end of the half hour, I shall ring a bell and you must stop, said the client. And uh, David said, uh, and who here is going to make the decision? And the guy at the end said, we all are. And he said, ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth my time. In that copybook uh, essay that so enamored me, you say, quote, there's a school of thought that tells you to submerge your own personality and be the voice of the client. I can't do that. I'm always me chatting away on behalf of the client. If I always sound like me, that's okay, because I am, and the public is nowhere near as gullible as they're made out to be. No, I totally believe that. I mean, some people can be the voice of the client. I'm just not that good at it. And so I become, I'm the salesman. Yeah. And you sell suits or booze or cars. But it's always me saying, well, that's not a problem, is it? I don't have to be the voice of the client. You can be the salesman on behalf of the client. That's what I do. And I, you know, I frequently put it as though I am the client, but no one's ever fooled. That's fine. So the advent of brand tone of voice guidelines and things like that would have been your undoing. You got out before all of that. No. Go, oh, well, we have to sound, you know, this way or I that can, way. I can or do what? that. Um, you know, I can vary the, 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 the way I speak according to the audience if I have to. Um, but in the end, I find that if I'm going to be persuasive, I have to be me. Hmm. And so, uh, often, throwing those guys out of the window is what makes your ad stand out. Because everybody wants to be, you know, we want to be this, we want to be that and do the other. Everybody says that. So, why would you do Be something else. Sure. Not a problem. And, uh, you know, I'm, I think when people read my ads, they think, what a frightful person. But they, they think, yeah, frightful person, but would I like to have a drink with this guy? Probably. Yes. So, and you're likable. And they think, they, nobody buys anything from anybody they don't like. If you go into a shop and find you don't like the, the bloke who's serving, you don't buy anything, do you? You think, like you know. But you, you said to be likable, but one of the things I strive for sometimes in my own copywriting, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of, is to be too, um, like, not to be your your friend, you know? Like, likeability is different from, from uh, ingratiating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good choice of words, absolutely, sir. Oh, absolutely, likeability. You frequently like... Well, I'm lucky because I am I'm kind of a roguish character, and people like rogues. Um, so they'll read my stuff and think, oh, dear, or how did he get away with that? But you see, I quite like to know this, but then at least you've got them on your side. So oh, while you're at it, buy some of this crap. <laughs> uh, Hemingway, I, I do think of you as a kind of Hemingway of copywriting, uh, but Hemingway said that writing is easy until you think about the reader. I think that's, tr that's true of all kinds of communication. That's terribly true, absolutely. Um, on the other hand, in advertising, you are thinking about the, the reader, whether you like it or not, that's your job. And so you have to say, now, how am I going to get what I want to say in the tone I want to say it across and not really get up this bloke's nose? Um, so you do have to pull back a little bit. And I, you know, the first drafts of several of my ads are very funny, but that. It wouldn't have actually got anybody on my side. But the Air India ads that never ran were, I think, marvellous. I think they're some of the best stuff that we've ever done. And I uh, worked with uh, Rob Speechy on the, on the art record. 
And uh, it was fun because we, the whole thing was that, you remember I said, uh, get, get off the no fucking way list. And yes. to a large extent, Air for, for Air India. Yeah. yeah. That was the no fucking way list. And for no real reason. I mean, they're perfectly good airlines and they're terrific pilots and all that thing. But people had to worry about them. And Air India would have a decision to make about whether to embrace their Indianness. They're on the cusp because India is a quite famous place with a lot of brand equity that you can yes. steal bits and pieces yes. of yes. for your own for your own benefit. Well, yes. I worked some years ago with a um, tire, Indian tire company that were trying to enter the, the European market, and they were ready to that. to uh, hmm? good luck with that. Well, well, why not? Right? I mean, they, why they, not? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why not. So they they were ready to sell at a deep discount. Uh, and kind of hide their their origins. Yeah, that was their plan, and and they were selling to fleets, uh, you know, taxi fleets and rental car companies. Not not so they, so a Michelin kind of so much as riding on your tires with yes. the baby on the top like that. An emotional play wasn't wasn't going to work. But I didn't. I just didn't. It didn't sit well with me to to have them deny their Indian. That seemed like too big an elephant in the room. Yeah. Almost literally, um, you know. Yeah. Then plus, plus a missed opportunity because you're, t- t- you're a tire company. Then to, to get fame, like ride on the back of India if you can. Are there some coattails here? Something. I mean, I'm mixing. I don't know. I'm trying to mix metaphors deliberately. Well, so I went on, off and thought about it, and I, what I came back to them with was I was thinking, what do, I had I'd not been to India at the time. I still haven't ah. been to India. Major hole in my travel history. But I, I said, what? Did, a lot of people haven't been to India like me. So I, so I said, well, what? What? I mean, a lot of people would buy tires and never been to India. I said, well, what are the images that people have? And it's it's terrible roads and traffic and you know yes. disaster on the on the on the streets. So yeah, is it? Yeah. So I said, why don't you make the claim? We make, they were the number one or two, I can't remember, tire company in India, but we make tires for the worst roads and the worst drivers on planet Earth. They're definitely good enough for a British lorry or like a German that. taxi. I like that. I like that very much. No, I'd have bought that. In fact, I wish I'd done it. In fact, I would have stolen it from you and had you killed. Nah, thank you. So, in the, it could have been almost anywhere except that India is the worst place in the world for driving. Yeah, and, well, and famously so. And famously so, and demonstrably so. Yeah. If you go there, you find Experientially out very quickly, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a wonderful line now. I've beaten them into senselessness to make them do it. Because it could have been, I mean, that was a very funny commercial. Just shooting the roads for a bit and say, if our task can send up to this thing, send me send up to Hamel Hampstead. Yeah, or Hamburg. Yeah, or Hamburg. Yeah. No, that's very good. I remember going on the, the main trunk road from uh, Jaipur to Delhi or somewhere. And uh, it's famously the most dangerous road in the world. And uh, the, the side of the road is littered with trucks and crashes and things. Littered with fog, you know. It was the worst year I've ever, ever, ever had. And uh, I had to do it about three times. In the end, I found out the best way was just drink a lot of beer and go to sleep in the lake. They pick my mangled carcass out of it, but at least I won't know anything about it. Hmm. I can I can identify with that. I once worked for I want to say I worked for Muammar Gaddafi, just because that's a great intro to a, it is to a story. But it's not a great lines, thank you. <laughs> it, it isn't 
it isn't uh, it doesn't quite uh, have as as uh, Henry Kissinger put it in a different context the added benefit of being true um, <laughs> that one's not quite true uh, we ended up as part of a consortium so we went to Libya and I, I took a trip to Gadams which is the uh, Saharan Gadams is was like being at sea well, you were still, it was a town, you know, anchored in the earth, but it was a caravan town. And wow. so they had lookouts, like, for camels. So it, felt, it was a strange cool. sensation to feel yeah, like actually, you were at sea, sort of waiting for the, the dynamic shifts know. around you and things to appear on the horizon and, and so on. Uh, but on the drive back from, from the Sahara to Tripoli... Uh, every few miles, it was some, you know, what's left of some massive wreck of, of, of like shipwrecks. You could tell yeah. how long ago it happened by the, yeah, the state of, of, yeah. of degenerate, you know, decomposition. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was heroin. I'm not a tra- I'm not really a traveler. I'm a bit of a tourist. Yes. Mm. I like uh, packaging nicely, then show it to me, and then take it away. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice. Thank you. Take across. Be there. Done that. You have survived. One of your coping techniques for cultural differences is to uh, have a circle around you. Yeah. You were telling me four feet. I Too think bad. it is. That is just four bad. feet. Is it? That's enough to get the job done. You don't need ten feet. No, 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 no. Um, it was specifically for Japan. Um, now, part of the problem was that was that the buying system. I never got the hang of because you know it's, you go lower than so and so when he's not as important as you and. Not as low when he's oh god it's fucking difficult. I once nutted the uh, chairman of uh, Mitsubishi. We both bowed at the same time, and I bang hit his head. And luckily, he had a sense of humour and um, stood about Ellie's head. And I, I did the same. I thought this is going nowhere. I mean, this, is, this is not this is not culturally sensitive or even amusing unless you happen to be watching. So. Then we shook hands and laughed and carried on with life. And I thought, now this is the answer. Put myself an exclusion zone. And if you don't go doing bowing, coming within, with, with, with the four foot, we'll say banging heads with anybody. And we can happily bow and do all the right things and, and go instead of no and all the things. Um, but if you come inside, we shake hands and we talk and like normal people. And the funny thing was the Japan, Japanese were great because they used to dance in and out of my circle. And that, of course, just toy with the, yeah, with the perimeter. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> now I'm in, now I'm out. Yeah, now I'm in. Now they, 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 they became very funny because they got the hang of the, the game. And it is only a game after all. And, um, but it prevents misunderstandings. So you say, you're in. Oh, okay, you're out again. And, uh, and you could move it too by moving closer to and them I, or stepping shuffled, away. Yeah. You, you could decide whether they were in or out. Right, well, I shuffled one guy right out of the room. Just kept on advancing on him and he kept on re- reversing until he got to the door and then went out the door. Which is good because it was a brick. And um, the Japanese are hilarious, I think. Honestly, there's a lot of an entirely different thing. Do you know Dave Trott's work? Um, I mean, I. Only recently, you know, through through Twitter, but I know you you guys are sort of pals at least With from a distance. Yeah, I'm John the Baptist. He's Jesus. I mean, he's fucking good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. 
that's up. So he gives the same speech everywhere he goes. Why makes not? the same points. Yeah. And it's all clearly right. Yeah. And he does it with a, an overhead projector. Yeah. I, no- I noticed this about you. You have this in common with, with Wally, just just, a, just completely bereft of jargon. Like, you can't, you, it's, you're, you're like, you can't use it. You can't, you could never, it's just impossible to think of Neil French saying, I was trying to strategize this, like, whatever, no. like, you just can't do it. It's no. plain speak all the way no, or, absolutely. or nothing. No, it's jargon. It's disgraceful. Um, I always say, avoid cliches like the plague. Yeah. Well, I like the Jimmy Buffett book, which is cliches. It's a song called Cliches. Cliches, good ways to say what you mean and mean what you say. I think there's, I think there's a really a role oh, for, there's a role for cliches. He's great with language. I think yeah. he's terrific. I yeah. like Jimmy Buffett anyway, but what was that one just recently? It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Excellent. If the phone doesn't ring, it's me. Those kind of, I mean, just they're genius, wisecracks. Wonderful bloke. I mean, Last mango in Paris, you know. Mm. All, he just—he has the whole. He's just—it's a great death of an unpopular poet. Yeah, super song. A lot of his stuff that isn't sort of super well known is very well thought. The weather, the weather is here. Wish you were beautiful. I don't know why there was something about that song that made me. That sounds. That made me giggle. My first one, of course, was almost everybody's. Um, Margarita, no. and uh, I was driving in my car. It was a Porsche, I remember, in Birmingham. And there's a just jockey called Nicky somebody, I can't remember, I knew him. And uh, I was just driving along and he had the late night program and I was coming back from the club and Margarita came on. I had to stop the car listen to it. Yeah. Fucking hell. Turned the car and did a U-turn. Went back to BRMB radio. <laughs> to the front door said, can I talk to Nicky please? Uh, he, Hello, Frenchie, what are you doing? I said, That's, I, want, I want the fucking record. He said, you can't play it, it's on the playlist. And I said, but I want the record. He said, oh God, I'll, I'll do it to tape to tape, so you know. He gave me the, gave me the, the little 45 that it was on. So that, that was the first time you'd heard it? Yeah. Wow. And I played it to it. It was a floppy disc by the time I finished. And uh, then, of course, I looked up to him about it and then realised he was a, a thing. Well, it's funny, he's... he's uh, well nigh unknown in, in Britain. Yes. Uh, and he, he's, I think, the second or third wealthiest, let's, let's for argument's sake, let's call him the third wealthiest musician, uh, you know, mu- musical entity on earth after the estate of Michael Jackson and um, Paul McCartney. And oh, Paul yeah. and Jimmy Buffett's like the third. I mean, it's mostly the hotels and the game, you know, the the, the sure. brand that he's built. Sure. But but still, I mean, to have to have someone who's that huge be unknown to Almost the entire population, basically unknown no, entire population. So he's a sort of like, uh, cult. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, the country music. Occasionally, so I don't like yeah. I don't like yeah. black caps for lots of reasons. But when I get in and I talk to the driver, as a matter of course, and I found a lot of black cab drivers for some reason like country music, yeah, penchant for country music. Well, I do too. Yeah, because the storytelling. That's well, it's, it's the, that and it's poetry. Yeah. And it's an argument I had somebody with somebody the other day, and I said, "Have you ever listened to it? It's poetry, right? Yeah. And get better than that. Certainly, certainly applies to um, Jimmy Buffett, but." fact that it's rap or something else I mean, it's, it doesn't mean to say it's it's not all crap uh, an awful lot of it is but you, I mean who's that horrible little boy um, 
Chase Montemort. Well known little shit. Bieber. Yeah, Justin Bieber. Listen to some of his, it's poetry. Is it good? It's good, nicely crafted pop music. Yes, and isn't it? I mean, my mama don't like you, and she likes everyone. Mm. Great line, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. What? My mama don't like you, and she likes everyone. <laughs> I remember, see, I remember, I grew up, so what, I was born in 74, and we used to go out to the Colorado River to water ski, and we would drive my stepdad's uh, Mercury Cougar XR7 down the Pear Blossom Highway, you know, that David Hockney, <laughs> it kind of looks like that, which I, which I call, as a, as, a, as a six-year-old, I call the roller coaster road, because it, yeah. it kind of, like, yeah. and we had, we had, you know, they had an eight-track play, so we had, we had the right. e- Eagles Greatest Hits 1974 to 70, or whatever that one with that kind of prow of a ship-looking eagle yeah. on it, blue, yeah. uh, we had Fleetwood Mac rumors and we had quite a lot of uh, Kenny Rogers and some of that stuff is great. it still sticks in my head Stupid. storytelling but why don't they tell yeah, stories and songs you know, oh, yeah, Ruby gambler. don't take your love to town I mean that's a yeah for instance or The Gambler The Gambler yeah no window holding no window. I don't walk summer evening yeah playing train down for nowhere yeah Met up with a gambler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, or, or, I've got the picture already. And the economy of it. The economy, that's splendid. the He's painted the picture with three lines. Yeah. Okay, now the rest is him and this bloke sitting there in a carriage. Come on, this. And it's great. He dies and it's got life, death, philosophy, everything in it. It's wonderful. I was, so I was sitting in Colombia. Not sure what I was going to talk about. I never am. And um, sitting next to me was um, a Colombian lady and a Colombian gentleman, young young man. And he was asking her, she was obviously the, the expert on English, and he was asking her how to write this business letter. And he said, you know, should, should I say yours truly or yours faithfully at the end? And then... Um, Dear sir, or dear sirs, and all this sort of stuff, you see. And he was asking me, I said, I hate to butt in. I know a bit about this. Can I just give you some advice? I said, yes. And even the woman said, yeah, please. Yes, you're on today, aren't you? Yes, I am later. I said, uh, I said, when I get out of here and we've said hello, will you say goodbye and yours truly? Well, you'll probably say ciao, see you later. Are you right there? Nobody ever, no human being has ever said yours truly at the end of a conversation, unless they're taking a piss, which which is still okay. And they never say, dear sir, my dear sir, unless they're they're from colonial Englishmen, which is possible, but again, taking the piss. So why don't you just write like you speak? And when you finish, say, that's it, several are going to say, ciao. And he says, isn't that allowed? I said, there's nothing not allowed. All you require is to be read and understood and be left with a nice taste in your mouth. Mm. And so I, when I did my speech, I said, actually, this is wonderful. I did my speech. I said, I told them the story. And I said, why don't you all start writing like you talk? With the ums and buts, and if you've got to start to put that in, it's okay. Suddenly means, oh, I know this is from Mr. Bloke with a stammer. Uh, put it in. It's okay. Nobody minds. It's a, it's a sort of charm if you put so, 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 so stammer. It's funny. 
I said, there are now people on your side. They know who they're talking to. Mm. It's a real human being. I said, try that. Don't go to copywriting conferences. Don't read books on it. Write down what you're going to say and then stop. And so many people came after and said, but it's, it's not how it's done. I said, it is how it's done if it's done by me. And therefore it's good. So why don't you just try it? What have you got to lose? Never any copywriteries. Never. No job. Never any more copywriteries. Yeah. I mean, you can find them everywhere. I mean, it's how copy is written. It's not by me, it ain't. Well, it normally ends up, I mean, the, the, the sad fact of reality is that computers come issued with, with Word on them, yeah, but, sure. but not Illustrator. And people, everyone knows how to talk, so they think they know how to rewrite a headline. Whereas if everyone knew how to draw, they would, you'd have logos bastardized by marketing directors too, but they, yeah. they know, they don't have that ability. So there's a certain deference to, to the visual and graphical people that doesn't doesn't get naturally extended. You've demanded it in the way you've gone about things, yeah. but it's not given naturally to No, it's not. But one of my tricks with clients was to when somebody said, I'm not sure about this copy, how could? And I'd reach in my pocket and take out a red fire. Help yourself. Whatever you write, I'll will be in the end. Me. Yeah, you. Tell me what you don't like. Put a line through it and put what you'd like instead. You're the copywriter. Well, th- I was just going to mention that, yes. Oh, you, you noticed. That's always like that. But by all means, change it. Is that entirely fair, though? Because no, well, I guess not, it was effective. But I mean, they could, they, could, they could be like, well, no, but there's still something. Because one of the things I have learned about clients, because I, I was a bit of an angry young man for too, too much longer than it, than it served me, um, if it ever served me, and, and was kind of unnecessarily difficult, I think. Um, unhelpfully to anyone at certain times. But one of the things I did figure out from, from clients, and what I also had to do with my own insecurity, I would fight for things that I shouldn't really have been fighting for and with mm. an intensity that didn't, mm. that wasn't called for. That's quite normal. So that when I, now that I've, I think I've healed from that, I have quite a different way of being with clients. But one thing that I did learn in that over a long period is that a lot of times the clients be like, we'll say, um, no, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be blue. It shouldn't be blue. Is not blue. Is not right. What they're wrong about that. It should be blue. But they're what they really meant. But they didn't have the. Is that it shouldn't be a square. It should be a triangle. Yeah. So I'm, they were. I'm with you. They were absolutely wrong. You. Exactly. But they were right. They just. I'm totally with you. You know. One of saying? the things that I again the other thing I used to do when when people depends how much I respected or didn't the person yeah. I'm saying to, and if especially as a top client saying. It's, Really good, Neil. I'm just, I'm just really not quite happy with this. And I'd say, okay, explain me why. And of course, they never quite can. And I said, what you actually mean, John, is you hate the fucking thing, am I right? Yeah. And they go, actually, yes. Fine. I'll go away and do it again. Don't worry about it. Relax. See you tomorrow, the day after, when I've done it. I'll come back with something completely different. Not that makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe it'll make you feel very uncomfortable, but there'll be a good reason for it. Oh, thanks. I just want to and then you would just go off and do it as over and do assignment. Yeah, just, just to start, start over. Start again. It's, it's not 
There's no, it's more than one way to skin a cat. No, yeah, there's no one right answer to anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sure. Well, would you can have unless you have the idea that you have to. This is the next execution of the strategy. Like I think that's one of the flaws of the build the strategy and then do the thing. Yeah, it's quite approach. Is you you end up really getting precious about the all the bits. expression. Yeah. Also, because it is you know how much work it's going to be to go do another one that, yeah. that maps back in some. Quite. uselessly conceptual way to the strategy. But in your draw, you've got three or four campaigns that you didn't show him. Yeah. You decided this one was the best. Yeah. But it may well be, and I'll fight for a long time for that. But if in the end the guy is actually paying, yeah. is uncomfortable, I'd rather give him something else. And then he might say, actually, tell you the truth, Frenchie, the first one wasn't bad, was it? Yeah, no, that can happen. Like yeah. They can change their mind. Yeah, no, yeah. actually, come to think of it. Yeah. Because you made an effort. Yeah. This is this says the same thing, it's in a different way, because it never looked like the last one. So if the one was copy heavy, the next one would be picture heavy. So uh-huh. and then they say, Well, actually come to think of it, I quite like the other one. I said, Well, why don't you just let it run and see what happens, eh? If it works, it'll work. If it doesn't work, you'll know, fire me or something. And, no, 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 he wouldn't do that. Oh, he probably should, you know, because I'm a professional. And then you'd have that conversation, and by then the ad was sold. Just talking about aftershock. Mm. Um, but the the red pen job was for the people who were niggers. If he's a nigger, no, could this be a bit smaller? Yeah, could. Could that be a bit bigger? Not really, because then you just made that smaller, so it would um, have a balance the look of the thing. Ah, okay. Well, uh, and I'm not sure about that. I tell you what, you do it, and then whatever you write down on this, I promise I will print. Me, yeah, you. You're obviously an expert. Also, oh, you do it. There's a bit of an attitude that's coming out. Oh no, yeah, point. no, yeah. you're the fucking genius. You're right, the fucking thing. Yeah. But the, the, then he'd say, "But I've got to show it to the marketing director." I said, "No, but we'll show the marketing director your version. So at least it will go past you, won't it?" What happens if he doesn't like it? Then I shall point out who did it, and it won't be me. If they're just passing this, I would if I were you. Yeah. And you can say I have reservations, Mr. Market Director, but this is what they've given me. But at least it's got as far as him, and even being kind instead of you. So, uh, on that note, Neil, thank you so much for your hospitality the last couple of days and uh, for sharing your stories with me and with so far my non existent podcast audience. So, Thank you very much, sir. It was a huge pleasure. I'm quite surprised you didn't ask me more rude questions. Oh, well, we can do those now. Edgy. Let's ask. Let's go edgy now, although the tape still runs. And so that is exactly what we did, talking for quite a while about wine, women, and song. I think for a professional podcast, it's probably best if I leave the more ribald ones off, but I will uh, add as a coda to this podcast one story about Neil uh, and his women folk from his days in Thailand, which is quite representative and quite amusing. Here it is. I had a girlfriend once in Thailand, a lovely girl, and uh, we had a house, and she lived in the house, I didn't. And uh, one day we were out, and she said, and we were with a bunch of people. And she said, Kunil, uh, 
You need a new mistress. Oh, that's very nice of you, but actually, you'll do fine, thank you very much. And she said, I said, why? She said, oh, old now, old. I said, you'll be not that old, you're only about 30, Christ. She said, no, you need a mistress. Old and, and I'm falling to bits. And I said, oh, that's terrible. You're not really dying, you're, you're a terrific looking girl, I mean, astounding. I know, no, no, I'm tired, tired now. So we find you a new mistress. I said, okay, okay, if you say so. When? He said, oh, tomorrow we get a new mistress. I thought that seems rather precise, but still, if you like. And then I was drinking my coconut and thinking, then suddenly she said, oh, no, mattress. Ah, this I believe. So we had to combine new mattress. <laughs> Had you gotten your hopes up in the meantime? No, not really. I was thinking about the advantages. No, no. no you were, you know, she was a very open little lady. She didn't care what I did. I, and I thought, clearly, yeah, yeah. Quite funny. What? I was a, a real shaker. My God, nobody's ever said this to me before. Mattress. <laughs> so we got new mattress. And there you are, ladies and gentlemen, Neil French. I hope you enjoyed that half as much as I did. And now we fade out to a little more Judas Priest, victim of changes. See you later. Once she was wonderful Once she was fine Once she was beautiful